0: We're here at JD Customs. Thank you so much for having us, man. This shop is absolutely beautiful. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm so excited about this. Like, I'm... For the longest time, I've been a bit of a... Like, I'm a guitar player, so I'm a bit of a gear nerd, as almost all of us are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I've gone down some crazy YouTube rabbit holes of, like, watching guitar videos and stuff, so there's a lot of things that I don't know whether they they myth or fact. <laughs> Yes. But I'd like to sort of sort out. But I think let's start at the beginning, man. Like, how did, how did JD Customs come into being?
1: Sure. Well, long, let's try and shorten the story. But um, <laughs> <laughs> You can go
0: as long as you want, man. <laughs> OK,
1: cool, cool, cool. So basically, you know, like, I've always liked playing. And, um, you know, I used to be a drummer as a teenager mm. and drum in a metal band and, you know, do that whole vibe, which was uh, really cool. And then started drifting towards uh, guitar, playing a bit of guitar, and it never really clicked until my father passed away and I inherited his guitar, which was in horrid condition. You know, it was a cheap little classical guitar that needed a lot of work. Mm. And I decided, you know, in his memory to actually do a bit of work on it. And, Try and sand it down, and you know, like I did a, a horrific job, let me tell you. <laughs> but it was the beginning of, of the journey, it, it's what actually ignited that spark amazing man. to give me that idea of like, actually, I want to work on guitars, this is what I want to do. And um, I was very fortunate to, to um, meet Mr. Andy McGibbon, late Andy McGibbon, and to do an apprenticeship with him. So, after you know, a few attempts of Showing him what I kind of do on the side, um, he, he actually let me work for him for a good three years. Mm. And that was the core of, of my knowledge, learning the basics of the game of lutherie. Mm. And in that time, I always aspired to, you know, have a workshop of my own one day and um, be able to, to do this type of work as, as a business as well.
0: Mm.
1: And it started in 2009, uh, after my three-year apprenticeship with Andy, um, I got into um, into business with um, Marshall Music, okay. and I had the pleasure to meet Dane Marshall, who um, who has also you know um, seen me grow through this time up to now, and it's been an amazing journey. It really has,
0: yeah. Awesome, man! Like the the South African sort of community around music has always been something I'm very like in love with. Yeah, because people. I think it's because we don't have that giant of an industry, there's not that much money or anything, re- like there is money of course, but it's not like in America or in the UK where the top artists are like millionaires. like, I mean, Franchoff & Coke and everyone, they're not exactly making like a crazy amount of money off of just the music. So I think that anyone who's actually involved in the music scene and in the industry is doing it out of love and I feel like that makes sort of a, such a tight-knit community that comes out of it. and. That, From what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's very much the same from the Luthery side.
1: Yeah, Werner, you're absolutely right there. Um, You'll find that a a lot of musicians have day jobs in South Africa and they gig at night. They they do this out of a a passion uh, mainly. And um, there are musicians that have made a success and an international success, you know? Um, I mean, let's think about, for example, Boo was the first South African band to go mm. onto MTV when MTV played music back in the day. That's a cool little tidbit, I remember. That's it, yeah. And and I mean, there is like, um, you know, uh, Parlour Tones um, mm, is a good example. Seaver is an amazing example of, of a band that did it internationally. But, but um, you'll find that in the South African music industry, the Afrikaans scene, uh, the gospel scene, the Afro-Jazz scene, the um, the DJ scene. Mm. Um, look at uh, Black Coffee. Yeah. The, these are, and uh, also let's let's, uh, let's not forget about, um, you know, I did mention Afro-Jazz, uh, but also the hip-hop scene, mm. and Kwaito and things like that are, are definitely the bigger part of the South African music industry mm. and um, always driven by passion and you say um, it kind of refers to us as well doing this as passion as luthiers and yes it started that way um, and it became lucrative over time yeah it was definitely a journey that took a lot of uh, blood sweat and tears to get to where it is now yeah, I can only imagine yeah yeah but it's it's been Fantastic to, to go through it, mm. and and now I can, I can see the light. Now, um, 10 years, 11 years in as a business, mm.
0: uh,
1: we are acquiring some equipment that we never believed we'd be able to use, like CNC machines, 3D printers. As technology has raised, um, so have our skills, so have um, you know, like our, our acquisition of, of skills through.
0: YouTube and the internet. YouTube is such a powerful learning tool, it's ridiculous. Very much, yeah. Um, But I think it's still important that you you sort of built it up from scratch. Like it wasn't like, um, let's say just somehow you win the lottery and you decide, oh, I want to become a luthier and then you just buy all this gear and you hadn't gone through that whole process of learning all the skills and learning what would actually be a useful piece of gear to have. Like I feel like that experience is almost worth more than the gear itself. I agree,
1: um, definitely. Well, you know, th- there's, there's um, that misconception that you are able to work on a lot of things at a beginner level. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, doing a guitar setup, for example, is something that I still learned from 11 years into business and plus 3 with, with an apprenticeship. So, 14 years, you will never find a guitar that will be predictable. They all have um, their own way of settling and that is something that takes a skill to understand mm. and uh, you know being able to do the bare minimal work on a fretboard for example is something that takes finesse it, it takes getting a hand to it mm. it's uh, also a muscle memory thing of of being able to understand what what is happening in front of you and not doing too much where you could ruin a job
0: Yeah.
1: but um, it is definitely a trade that demands many, many hours of practice and um, it's it's nice to, to, to see that you can achieve a lot
0: when you put your mind to it. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true, especially now when you have all this, the internet and all this information actually disposable. I feel like if you really want to do anything and you put your mind to it, like anyone can yeah. learn or anything essentially definitely,
1: definitely. and there's always the, that the, there's this weird line um in between the professional that's been doing it for many years and the guy that's trying to um do this work as a non-professional so what i mean by that is you know also because of the internet now all of a sudden there's very uh, a very big amount of experts now yeah. all of a sudden <laughs> so now everyone can you know work on a car or work on a guitar mm. and uh, if you're trying to achieve the the levels of like ferrari or taylor guitars um, to get to that point is is something that that requires a huge amount of work mm. business-wise skill-wise um, also socially um, you know understanding your customers uh, giving, giving, the giving customer. them the, that respect that mm. they deserve and and um f- you know handling problems um in a way that's that is always done ethically so on on our side that's been the strongest element of our business is that you know things can go wrong and customers will be upset it's the approach that makes all the difference it's Mm -hmm. the way that we resolve those problems that makes the difference for us
0: Mm. i've always been kind of curious about that because of course you might get a guitar in where let's say it has a slightly cracked neck but then the guy who brought it in didn't know that it was cracked in the body as well and then you fix one crack and then the other crack sort of goes wrong and then there's a whole thing. Yes. Like how does that whole process sort of go? Do people kind of accuse you of breaking stuff or? No, yes all the time <laughs> and it's a process that we've
1: streamlined mm. um, so the way that we do it now is our assessments are, are incredibly good. So uh, we take photos of, of the instruments when they arrive, photos when they leave. Uh, we use actually an amazing system called Trello. Um, Trello is very popular as a workflow system mm. and and the beauty of it is that we can take photographs um, of, of each instrument as a card and as a job card. So this instrument has been booked in, it's had photos before it came in. As we go through the work we take snapshots of that, it gets referred back to its original job card. Uh, for that we use an online accounting system that we use uh, for um, you know, like uh, the, the logistics side of things, the great booking thing. inside of things, the customer based side of things. Mm-hmm. So we work in between these two systems, Trello mm-hmm. and, and our accounting system, which is uh, QuickBooks. Because okay. we're not accountants
0: here.
1: <laughs> that's not our job. So QuickBooks is great for someone like me that that is not an accountant that needs to use it as a POS uh, point of sale. system and and for the accounting side of things, we we go through an accounting firm that specializes in that so that it's not um, an area where we can make mistakes.
0: Mm. Amazing, so like Mm. every step of the process is sort of documented along the way?
1: Yeah, as much as we can. Mm. Um, If you look at our workstations, each um, technician has his own laptop and he's got access to his whole workflow system from his laptop and it makes life a lot easier to, to know that. The guitar's in storage, it's been booked in, it takes however long to get to the bench, the customer knows this, it gets to the bench, it gets worked mm-hmm. on, if it needs to wait, it waits in a certain section uh, for parts to arrive, then it gets uh, completed, uh, photos are taken, and the instrument is then ready for collection, it mm-hmm. stays back into storage. So nothing in the workshop is just sitting there, it's in storage until the workflow it gets uh, started and completed and then back into storage for collection. Okay. And that's great. These are yeah. processes that we've learned uh, by burning our fingers, by, yeah. by being late on, on promises. And uh, you know, like the, the, I think the, the most important um, step of this journey has been to consider the mistakes and mm. to change them. You know?
0: Cool man. Yeah, you know, like I always feel like those kinds of systems sort of always come out of necessity. But like going back a little bit to the apprenticeship and whatnot, like I'm looking around and I'm seeing cellos and guitars and all kinds of different things. Like I can imagine when you're learning, it's probably very dependent on what work comes in at the time while you're doing your apprenticeship as well. Like how does that whole it is, it is um, the apprenticeship
1: was nice because I was under Andy's wing and mistakes uh, that he knows could, he could guide me through. Mm. As soon as I um, started JD Custom on my own as a one-man show, then it, all of a sudden I was thrown in the deep end and um, have, having to sort out mistakes uh, or problems that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. So that was the hardest part of the transition is now being alone. Um, but it it was a lot dependent on the work, yes, as in this comes in and you work on it and then see the certain problems, but it's also dependent on what you do after as well, in terms of research, in terms of Mm. meeting people that know better, um, getting in touch with Taylor Guitars International, with Gibson, um, you know, f- factories that's that that have a lot of knowledge mm. and doing training under them. So w- working with Taylor guitars um, throughout my journey is, has been amazing because they Crazy. they support a lot of their technicians outside of, the, of their country and their region.
0: I wouldn't expect that. I would think they would kind of want to keep their little secrets to themselves.
1: Y- yeah, you, it would seem that way, but actually when they've got guitars in Africa that are um, you know problematic they mm. want to have um, someone in Africa that knows how to deal with those problems instead of shipping them back and mm-hmm. working on them and shipping them you know, the shipping costs already are, are massive for an instrument yeah. and anything can happen in between you know in, in between uh, its it's uh, trajectory back to the <laughs> factory. <laughs> I was
0: about to say shipping guitars is always the scariest like even just it saying is. that phrase freaks me out a little bit
1: <laughs> and guitars like that are worth you know hundreds of thousands of rands um, mm-hmm. You can easily buy a Gibson or a, a Taylor guitar over a 100,000, rand, mm. And obviously they've got the entry level line, um, the, but they, you know, guitars are worth a lot more than the general idea people have of them.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's also besides the monetary value, it's, yeah. you have someone's grandfather's old Gibson. Of course. Like that's which something is, entirely Which different. has gained
1: value. Mm. Um, I mean, you're a gear junkie, so you know this, but someone that's, um, you know, has maybe got a son in their family that plays guitar will know a little bit more but someone that doesn't know a guitar is a guitar it's got six strings and that's it but it's it's a lot more than that it's it's the the quality of the wood it's the workmanship it's the brand it's um you know the accessories that are on it it's uh, the the manufacturing process it's got to do with a lot of elements that now determine the price it's like you say the vintage value Mm. and instruments like a a Stratocaster from the 1960s has become um, a heirloom, it's become a collector piece, it's got a value that is a lot higher than something you buy off the shelf right now. Mm. And also there's the, the, let's take the Fender example, the guitars that are made in America compared to the ones made in Mexico, compared to the um, grade line, which is made in, in, in the Eastern um, region, so like Korea or China, mm-hmm. all the Squire stuff will be cheaper. It looks the same, but it does not cost the same. And <laughs> it definitely does not handle the same mm-hmm. as, as something in their higher range of
0: products. I think that the, the like, sort of lower end guitars has always been, you get these gems every now and again. They just for some reason that specific one feels so good Yes, and they just work, but then you can't go and buy that exact same model and expect it to feel the same. Yes, it's like the... I feel with the lower end stuff, it's, not necessarily, the yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily... It's not necessarily less quality. <laughs> it's like less... there's less quality control that happens afterwards and not each one of them will be up to the same sort of scratching. Like I have a Squire that honestly to me it feels better than a bunch of Fenders that I've played on. And I love it to death, like, I don't, I don't really care about <laughs> what name is on yes, the stock. If course. guitar works, it works. But there's also, like, like you said, people that don't know the value of their own instruments. I have this whole story with my brother, where one of his friends kept telling him, like, dude, I have this guitar that's, like, lying in my cupboard under a bunch of hockey sticks and stuff. He was just come pick it up at some point. And my brother didn't really think about it too much. When he finally went to go pick it up, it turned out to be an echo from the 60s. Okay. Um, with this beautiful neck that's like a bold rosewood almost but it's got the craziest like grain on it and everything and these old switches and it's the coolest guitar but it's got a slight crack on the neck because it was just sort of not even in a case or anything left at the bottom of a cupboard um he still needs to get that restored yeah but like you just find these gems that people don't see the value in and then if you put it in front of the right person they would absolutely pick that thing up and love it for the rest of their lives so like that's something i love about instruments is they hold this inherent value that's not apparent to everyone, but they, each one of them has a story to tell.
1: (laughs) They do, they do, and that's where, um, you know, we come in, Um, being able to repair things like that. So, you know, there's been a lot of cases where people wouldn't know that you can fix a broken neck Mm. and therefore it either gets thrown away or it lies in the cupboard for the rest of its uh, life, you know, and um, I think this is something that I've seen change over the years in in business in South Africa, particularly. Um, The knowledge of, oh, my guitar actually needs a setup, Mm. whereas before, no one would know. Um, They would buy a guitar because it feels good and, you know, instead of going for the better guitar, they would choose the one that plays better. Mm. But the, the, the beautiful and better guitar can play beautifully and the terrible guitar can also play beautifully. So, you can have a terrible guitar that plays incredibly well and an, an incredibly well put together guitar that, that plays terribly. Yeah. And that's all up to the way that it's been set up. Mm. The way that the strings are now closer to the fretboard, your action. The way that the curvature sits uh, to enable the string to freely oscillate. And mm. that whole equation of all these elements put together into a good setup. And um, th- that makes all the difference.
0: What's your viewpoint on setups? Like, do you set up towards someone's preferences, or do you feel like a guitar has an ideal setup for the guitar? That's like, of course, of course, between slide and like someone who's playing just sort of normally, you have a higher action on the slide and whatnot. But, um, like, what's this general approach to setups? Well,
1: that's a question that gets asked when the guitar comes in for a setup. Mm. Is have you got a preference? Are you um, a gospel player in a church band that's going to strum really hard? Or are you a jazz guitarist that plays very lightly? What is your string preference in terms of thickness, gauge? Mm. Um, These elements all determine how the guitar needs to be set up. And then there's industry standard. So, um, you know, typically a Strat won't be set up the same as a Les Paul, which Mm. won't be set up the same as a six string steel string guitar, which won't be set up the same as a bass guitar, a banjo, a double bass. All these things have their their factory specs. Mm. And um, a, a lot of players like to be below them if they play gently or slightly above if they play heavily. Um, they all have their different gauges that they want to play with. So yeah, that's, that's a very important question, is no guitar will be set up the same and, mm-hmm. and uh, no guitar can be set up the same in terms of the guitar itself's personality
0: and the same goes for the player. Yeah, like I've had some guitars where I'm, like, I, I come from a metal background mostly So I like... My heart belongs to metal, man. (laughs) 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 Uh, Like it started as like I want to be the most metal guitarist ever and play as fast and whatnot as possible and then I slowly just drifted towards but rock and roll is really fun. Okay. It doesn't have to be like the fastest craziest thing you can play as long as it's got that like... Yes.
1: It's um... funny you say that, Vernon, because (laughs) I also uh, did my apprenticeship at Andy's and I was like Flying V, uh, (laughs) Dean Guitar Razorback. That's my, my vibe and now I'm like acoustic guitar John Mayer, (laughs) you know, so I've become a bit of a purist over time and and, you know, I think with the experience of seeing guitars all the time, when you look at a Strat or a Telecaster, a Les Paul, a Taylor guitar, a Gibson songwriter, all these guitars have done so well for a good reason, Mm. you know, for a good reason and those are the ones that will sell the most Mm. in this global industry and for good reason
0: yeah no a classic's a classic for a reason like that's definitely that's always been the thing um what's your what's your sort of preference guitars i'm a big
1: taylor fan i really like Taylors, and um so i play a five one two limited four so five is uh the first number that means that it's actually made in america in california Mm -hmm. uh, at the alcayon factory anything below two A 2 and below is now their Mexican range, just so that you know. And uh, the 1 means it's a 6 string, the 2 is the shape, which is a grand concert. So it's a relatively small guitar, not the tallest guy. Mm. And it's a parlor type of guitar, so good for fingerstyle. The bridge sits more in in the middle, Mm. Um, so it's very punchy and to me that's like my favorite guitar in the world before that i had gas which is guitar acquisition syndrome
0: yeah and it
1: was a big problem because i was trying to find which one suits me the best and Mm. in 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 my collection of now 15 guitars which i've tried to trim as i as i go i I only play one yeah And and it's that particular guitar so it's if i do play my gs mini it's because i'm traveling around with it if i if I play uh, my Lave guitar, it's because i'm learning on a full scale instrument the five and two slightly shorter scaled and uh, it's it's yeah it 's the one I love mm. but yeah preference goes to <laughs> Uh, Les Paul, a Strat, a Telecaster in the electric department. Uh, classics? That's it. But I mean, I'm not an electric player. I, c- I can really appreciate what they are. Mm. Uh, they, they're they awesome to work on compared <laughs> to acoustic guitars. Acoustic guitars are pedantic. Mm. They're always swelling, shrinking, depending on humidity, temperature. Um, they they kind of have a life on their own. And an electric guitar stays pretty stable. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what's your What's your take on the tone word argument? It's very real in the acoustic side. Yeah, I'm specifically talking about electric. <laughs> on electric,
1: uh, yeah, it, it does have an influence, but not as much as you think. Mm. It's a uh, lot to do with the pickups. It's a lot to do with the stability and the construction of the instrument. Yeah. But you can, you know, slap EMGs on a broomstick and it'll sound damn
0: good. <laughs> That's sort of, I've, been trying to, I've been trying to dig through all the YouTube information that yes. there is on the whole thing. And my, my understanding of it is it's more about your pickups, your scale length, than anything else. Your um, gauge. Your gauge, that as well. Like Your tuning, you know,
1: if you're gonna play gents, you don't wanna do it on a blues uh set up guitar <laughs> with thin strings. Mm. So it's got a lot to do with that too.
0: And also low you go the longer you want your scale length to be, otherwise That's the strings it. are just flopping around. The place.
1: That's it, and they must be thicker as well for mm-hmm. your drop Bs and all those type of tunings, yeah.
0: yeah so I went down a rabbit hole of like Trying to go the lowest tuning that I possibly can without realizing. Actually, you're just making your mix sound muddier. (laughs) Drop Z (laughs) (laughs) doesn't make anything sound heavier. Strum a a, a six-string bass. (laughs) 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 No, there's people that play in drop E, and then it's just E an octave below, which is. It, you're basically just playing bass at that point and your bass is in such a low frequency that it doesn't even work really in a mix. Yeah, it won't cut through that mix I guess. Mm, then I, I realized that's, like like I said, I sort of drifted more towards rock and roll. While I was doing that, I obviously started going back to sort of standard tuning and I realized when I was just noodling some metal riffs in standard, they still sound great. They sound even better sometimes. And then you think about Megadeth played an E. Mm, that's right, yeah. Metallica played an E. Good example. Like, no one really it became such a contest with each other of who's playing in the lowest tuning and i think that it's kind of slowly going to the reverse now where people don't really worry about that too much it's more about having a good punchy heavy sounding mix than how low you. yeah i agree
1: I, mean, I agree i think it's got a lot to do with also the change of equipment throughout the ages and the modernization of the recording studio and the gear availability for the average Joe. Mm. So, a lot of people have been, uh, you know, like in, in contact with some amazing equipment and they're trying to think outside the box, changing the tuning. Um, you know, when you're listening to a, a, a heavy metal playlist on, on, on well, you know, all the albums that you have um, as a digital thing. If you're shuffling, because we don't listen to music the
0: same.
1: Yeah. Uh, I used to listen to albums particularly and to get through that journey from the first song to the last song as a teenager. And now you find that you've got all your albums mixed together on a shuffled playlist. So you're working through your playlist, listening to your music, and you go through Megadeth, uh, there's a song from them, there's Metallica, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's After the Burial. Yeah. And that's on drop B. And now in your mind, there's that difference. It's It sounds like something different because mm-hmm. it's not being played on a standard tuning. And I think that's where bands wanted to... Play with tunings mm. is because of that to stand out from the mix of the many songs that you're listening to. It's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah,
0: um, like I'm glad you brought up the thing of when you were a teenager, you sort of used to listen to a full album. Like one of the <laughs> so my my car's from two thousand four. Okay. And it doesn't. It can't read MP three CDs. It doesn't have an aux per input or anything. You can just play a standard old CD in it. Um, and kind of a side, like it used to annoy the living hell out of me in the beginning. And then I realized the side effect of it was I'm listening to full albums. Um, and there's something to that. Like that, like you said, the journey from the start to the finish, getting the whole point across of like what they were thinking when they put that album together. Like I don't think people always realize how much time is spent on just the order of the songs on an album. Mm. Um, and I really love that, but I also really love like having the playlist, having the everything at your disposal kind of thing, like I don't... Exclusion is never something I enjoy in music, like gatekeeping or saying this is the right way to do this and this is the right way to do that is something I completely try and avoid, but I, I feel like there's a lot of value in listening to a full album from the start to the finish, at least once.
1: Definitely. Well, I mean, you know, it depends for what as well. So um, I love electronic music too. And, um, you know, having a, having a playlist that shuffles like that is great. You Because know, mm-hmm. you, you get exposed to a lot more. So if you're using like a streaming platform, um, it's, it's, it's good to have that. Because now all of a sudden you, you hear an artist that you never heard before. Mm-hmm. But there's that element that I miss um, from being, you know, a, a teenager listening to albums. Is that the? F- I don't know if you remember this, but like, let's say the first time I heard the chocolate starfish and, and the hot dog flavored water by, <laughs> by Limbiscuit, I was like, this album is horrible. Mm. Today you put me on a desert island, I'm taking that album with me. It's an interesting choice. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, and I mean, it's it's something that even now, all these years later, I keep on learning something from it. There's a sound that I didn't hear. Mm. There's a guitar riff that I didn't really perceive in the same way, and you find that in those days you had to kind of get to understand the album by repeatedly listening to it and then all of a sudden your taste towards it changes. Yeah. Music doesn't have that opportunity today. Mm. Today it's I don't like that song, put a thumb down on it, and you'll never hear it again, which is also great.
0: Or it's just you only know a song from a 15 second TikTok clip. Or you only know a song from a 15 second TikTok clip. That's it. TikTok is where the music industry is booming right now, and I don't know how I feel about that. I'm very happy for artists getting exposure.
1: Super compressed, Mm. and punchlines happening a lot quicker than before you would go through, like, I don't know, you listen to Tool, and there's that whole tension that builds up to then have a breakdown where now you want to hear that breakdown straight away because yeah. otherwise you're gonna press next or put a thumbs down on your song and that's where the music industry makes its money now mm. is through that. It's captivating you within those first ten seconds.
0: Uh, it's interesting you said about that like Desert Island album which is one that you didn't like that much in the beginning. Yeah. Like for me it's Led Zeppelin three. Okay. But it was also like I When I was 12 I sort of discovered my granddad's old turntable and set it up and the thing still happened to work and I was like blown away by it because I could listen to like my mom's old credence that she had to hide from her dad. And then I went out and like tried to buy some stuff and it was just as things were sort of starting to come back for the vinyl scene. And I found Led Zeppelin 3 and I was like oh cool Led Zeppelin but like I'd only ever heard you know the immigrant song or the, the main sort of hits. I'd never sat down and listened to a whole Zeppelin album and when I did, I was very underwhelmed the first time. I was like, I'm probably not gonna to listen to that again. Two days later, there's this little voice in the back of my head that just remembered one bit out of a song that I enjoyed and you go back and you listen to the album again and then it's, okay cool, there's like three or four songs on here that are pretty good and then it just keeps going and now it's, there's not a second on that album that I would skip, like every single part of it is absolutely perfect. Um, it's very cool how that, evolves and changes, but also sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes a bad album is just a bad album. Of course, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And you,
1: you can't uh, embellish it at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. So, what's, like, I'm sure you've worked with some very interesting people throughout the years mm. in the South African music scene. Like, who, who are some people that might stick out for you? So, there's, uh, sure, th- throughout the whole journey
1: there's definitely Victor Masondo. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing bass player with an international, um, you know, internationally recognised uh, skill. Denny Lalouette, uh, Carlo Mumbeli. If we're talking about bass, um, there's also um, Tendai Shocks. Um, I've, I've had uh, the privilege to to really um, meet a lot of people in the Afro jazz uh, community. So there's uh, Galim Goveni. Um, there's Lally Chabalala, those type of um, uh, bass players. Um, in, in the guitar side of things, Dan Putlansky, um Johnny Clegg, mm. and his son, Jesse, um, who can I think of? Uh, Michael Plaxton Harrison, left-hand player, incredible, the parlor tones and uh, prime circle, Um, the guys from Vulvodynia Mm. uh, in the the metal scene Um, there was also Agro um, Chromium (laughs) I haven't heard that name in a while yeah Chromium uh, did well uh, when they were at the peak of their career Mm. Um, yeah (laughs) Yeah, there's so many I mean there's uh, Josie Field um, Janie Bay uh, sure um, Joe Black.
0: It's a lot of people like yeah doing very the, well, the right?
1: Blackhead Burns.
0: Oh yeah. my God! Yeah, yeah.
1: The, they're they the most fantastic people. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Incredible band as well. I think um, actually, there, there's so many that I you know like I must say I've been very very lucky and and fortunate to meet to meet all all the players mm. um, in this industry over fourteen years. Um, you know, you're going to meet a lot of people if this is what you do as, 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 a, as, a, as a job,
0: as a career. Mm, I think and also when it comes to those kinds of people, like a lot of them would go to a certain luthier through word of mouth. Yes. Um, like, I don't know. I've never seen, to be honest, I've never seen a JD Customs ad or in anything, but I've heard the name so many times. <laughs> like, I was, like, I have this old Tysco um, that I bought in Paris for like a thousand rand. Okay. The thing with it is it has like old sort of classical machine head strip thing yes. that I just ripped off because it's horrible. And then I wanted to just put machine heads in it, but it needs to be drilled out and I do not trust myself to do that at all. Yes, And I've just been like, waiting to save up a little bit of money. I want to do a full overall on it, but I knew for a fact I'm going to come here, never having been here, never having heard anything. It's just so many people that I trust have said, JD Custom, did go there.
1: <laughs> Thank you for the compliments, man. Yeah, yeah, so we are doing something right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, if you look at our our logo um, or our trademark, rather, um, it's passion done professionally, mm. and it it definitely um, shows in our work. So I think that goes a far way.
0: Yeah. No, more speaking to you for five minutes, I also wouldn't have any reservations leaving like any guitar here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Some that's, sure. that's important uh, you'll find there's a lot of technicians that are amazing technicians yeah. and then there's the messy side of their brain uh, where there's that organized chaos hmm. and and if, if uh, you know if I if if I was lucky um, in, in, in my, my brain construction is that I was given the how can I say you know without being um, Arrogant or anything like I was given the the privilege of having an organized mind at the same mm-hmm. time And it, it definitely helps a lot to you know Bring your guitar to a place where it's going to be on a clean bench in a clean storage room And it's going to be cleaned when you get it back. Yeah, that's that to me is like I wouldn't take my car to a mechanic that's got tools lying all over the place because I'd be scared it gets scratched. And the same applies to your guitar even more, because like you say, um, at the beginning of our interview, it's got a lot of sentimental value. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's gone through its journey. It's got its story to tell. And now you don't want to send it to some guy that's just not going to respect that. Mm. And, and, and that's where the most, the, the most prominent s- step, of, of our work is to have the same respect for a guitar that's not worth much and one that is. Ah, oh,
0: that's a very cool word too. Yeah. So like I'm sure there's some unique sort of instruments and things that come through here just plainly based on the fact that we're in South Africa. Like are there any sort of standouts or anything crazy that you think is worth highlighting that's come through the shop?
1: Um, South Africans are very brand conscious about instruments they buy in general and with that comes a lot of high-end gear. Mm. So Paul Reed Smith guitars, Gibsons, like your standard high-end instruments, you know. Uh, But we've had sitars in here, we've had Asian lutes, we've had old banjos from the 1920s. Yeah, we've had um, you know, organs. Because uh, I mean, our electronics department uh, also works on some pretty funky stuff. So
0: you work on organs?
1: Yes, I've yes. Got, I've do. got a Hammond.
0: I'm gonna bring through. To well,
1: electronic organs. Yeah. yeah. So not not the church vibes. Uh, no, no, no. That no. you'll find at a cathedral. You know. <laughs>
0: I recently inherited my mum's old um, Hammond organ. Okay. Yeah, we've worked on a few of those. Yeah. Uh, it's just got a bad cap that needs to be replaced. Okay. okay. Other than that, it's still Running, well they you were know, engineered to crazy they were and
1: they were so like ahead of their times mm. in terms of what we done on them um, you know if you look at the plastic construction or the microchips that are on them like this whole evolution of technology definitely was taken seriously on on those type of instruments mm. and and talking about technology that's that's something that's um, you know us acquiring a 3D printer and a CNC machine has enabled us to now work on, on things we weren't able to fix before because mm. now you've got a button missing on a, an organ from 19 footsack <laughs> and all of a sudden you cannot reprint the part that's missing, whereas, okay. whereas
0: you can't find this anyway. So what do you like, actually with a 3D printer or in terms of the parts? Can you do like a nut? For example
1: you can but it's going to be a plastic nut so you can definitely cut one out of aluminium on the cnc machine uh, but you okay. know when it comes to uh are you talking about a guitar nut or a nut from an, a bolt no a guitar nut a guitar nut okay so guitar nuts you can cut that on the cnc machine uh, but the thing is they all come in different sizes and shapes and they're very particular in how they get mounted on the guitar so mm-hmm. you you know you can't just take the nut off and replace it with another one mm-hmm. there's the width on the neck, there's the height, there's the height compared to its action and curvature so that the f- string um, touches the first fret at the right um, depth, there's also the thickness of the gauge that's on the guitar so the slot needs to be cut to the right thickness. So in nuts we cut by hand and we, we like to do that more and more instead of buying generics or aftermarket parts like GrafTech or Tusk. Mm. We like to cut it out of shin bone from a giraffe and it's all ethically um, acquired um, through you know, animals that have passed by being sick or old age. All mm. through a, a very uh, successful um, South African knife maker that also is in that business. What? That's yeah. very cool. So we, we get giraffe shin bone which is to me one of the best materials available um, on a larger scale than trying to acquire, you know, like at JD Custom we won't even use old ivory from old keys on mm. old pianos and you know, I guess it is a waste of material that's just sitting there but, you know, I'm, I'm a bit, uh, you know, into the conservation mm. side of things in my, in my mind so that's, that is an important part of, you know, the way we get our materials and the giraffe shin bone will be nice and dense. It will you know
0: transfer Yeah, that's
1: it. It will transfer resonance to the fretboard or the neck in the same way um, that ivory would. Mm. It's as hard as that, and it's a great material to work with. So if you've had a custom saddle made here or a custom nut, you'll, you'll really know the difference that it makes and the way that it polishes out. So that's something that you would then keep um, as much as possible cut by hand. Mm. But let's say there's a bridge on a 12 string guitar that you cannot buy anymore. Uh, We can cut you one with our CNC machine out of ebony. And that's that's construction is a lot more accurate if you use a CNC machine. Mm. Um, And then printing, we would use that for, you know, keys on keyboards or mounting brackets. Inside keyboards, inside amplifiers, uh, you 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 can do a lot with the three D printer and a CNC machine. Crazy. It opens up an uh, an entire avenue. Now I can
0: imagine. Yeah. Um, is there anything you don't work? Like?
1: Well, we have had people come in with TVs, so um, visual <laughs> visual tech. Yeah. We don't. We don't. We stay away from that. Or we've had ladies come with irons or like a kettle <laughs> that doesn't work and we we try and stick to our guns purely on the audio electronic side of things uh, or the strung instrument side of things so mm. we won't work on pianos for example we will work on double bass classical instruments we don't do brass and woodwind
0: oh, okay.
1: that's it we will get into those fields eventually because it's nice to you know as 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 we've grown um open up open up our product range, Mm -hmm. like the CNC machine stuff, for example. But yeah, we we like doing um, structural repairs, setup work, electronics, uh, spray work. So polyurethane, nitrocellulose spraying Mm -hmm. in our spray booth here, um, making components or sourcing parts from overseas um, on high ends, instruments,
0: Mm -hmm. that type Mm -hmm. of thing. And then are there sort of any very widely believed myths that you keep hearing from like your customers, for example, that you'd like to sort of get out there and set the record straight a little bit?
1: Yeah, we've got a funny meme that we use all the time and it's the I I do my own setups boot. <laughs> and that that is something we, we like to um have fun about because uh you can do a lot of stuff at home, you definitely can, especially if you're a tech-savvy person. I probably fall under or, that because I am if you're good my with your hands, <laughs> or if you're technically minded, absolutely. But there's a finesse to working with certain things that is not achievable unless you have been on the journey of mastering your skill, because mm-hmm. no one can ever master their skills fully. But you can definitely be on that journey. And if you've done your 10,000 hours plus, you then fall into that category. And uh, like I say, there's a lot of things you can do at home and there's a lot of things that you can't. And to have that respect and to have that humility is I think very important. Mm. Because a lot of guys um, will not have that humility and it puts sticks in your wheels, you know, where I I try and stay as humble as I can. Mm. And there's a lot of things that I will learn from other people even, you know, um, by sharing thoughts and, you know, having that respect goes a far way uh, with the people that you meet that are then willing to share more with you as yeah. well, you know. So, so yeah, the, that myth um, is definitely something that's, that we like to <laughs> talk about, yeah. Um, yeah, but there's also um, the, the journey, you know, and I think mm-hmm. I have to give a lot of respect and credit mm-hmm. to my team and for what they've been through learning here as well and you know being humbled by seeing the way we work and how far they've come so I've got Edwin my workshop manager Mm. that has really become my right hand in terms of skills and 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 thinking procedure I've got Christo my electronic engineer that handles everything that's got to do with electronics on on a on a um, education um, basis as well having qualifications towards towards his trade yeah. and and there's uh you know um nolan who does all our logistics he's our, our um, uh, operations manager he's just found his way to making sure that everything here is organized um there's um liam who is also very interested in blacksmithing in his own time and he's just shot up in skills uh, Joshua, who is our electronic technician who's also very good at not just the hardware side but the software side of things. Mm. And um, we've got Big Mac um, who is the, the right hand of our electronics department. We've got Sorrel who is also very involved in our Westrain workshop. He does all our social media and um, yeah, like everyone's kind of found their place here and it's enabled me to shift. Uh, and, and uh, you, you know, my, my skills towards, towards um, the business as a whole. Mm, I, mean, yeah. I think, you know, being... I see this a lot with, with um, technicians, as they're scared to share their skills with their apprentices in fear that the apprentice takes over the master. Yeah. But, you know, if the master doesn't grow, he will never... he, he will never stay where he, where, where he is in, in his position and it's, it's forced me to learn more, it's, it's, um, it's forced me to give away processes that I don't have to work on anymore, like, like answering the phone to customers, that's yeah. not something that's, that, I, that, I, that I can do anymore because I'm so busy with other things. Mm. And uh, yeah, as, as, a, as a growth of this business I think it's been imperative, it's been so important to share the skills and to enable people to grow and to step up to the plate.
0: It's a great way of looking at it dude, like mm. I always love the analogy of it sounds so lame every time I say it but it, it rings so true, it's like life is like a stream and if you can't move forward with the water you're treading water and you're working harder to stay at the same place and you won't stay at the same place, <laughs> but you're basically shooting yourself in the foot if you're trying to keep one thing the same, yeah. um, so you always have to be moving forward and expanding and changing your focus to different things as you've learned something like I feel like if you, like you say, if you pass along certain skills to take away some of the more mundane tasks from you, you have more time to learn new skills that can come in as well, and then be taught Definitely. and then it just keeps going and everyone keeps growing and everyone keeps learning. The business keeps growing. Like it's Definitely. a beautiful thing.
1: It is, and the world changes all the time. and. That's the scary part of it, but it's also the 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 most beautiful part of it. Is that, you know, like um, before the hacks before the hacksaw, there was uh, there was no table because you couldn't cut the wood into the shape that you needed. Now that you have a table, uh, you can have a vice grip on on the table and be able to do a better job at cutting something more precisely. That then enables you to make a machine that can cut things more precisely. That enables you to then creates an instrument and the, every everything grows in that way that's why as, as technology shoots up to where we are now mm. we've got now cnc machines available to average people like like you and i that now can do things a lot faster a lot better and and create better technology and it's just this like increments of of skills and 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 tools that enable us to actually at the end of the day think on a much larger scale Mm. i think you know when when our parents were our age they only had to you know think about half the stuff that we think about now because now we've got computers that flash information at us like
0: like never before yeah yeah that's great and the whole the whole world's changing and keeps changing faster and faster yeah um but dude like is there anything else you'd like to you'd like to add or throw in there? Yeah, just
1: want to thank everyone that's been involved uh, on, on on this journey with JB Custom, all the musicians that have supported us over time, the Marshall Music Group, um, and Dane Marshall that that has enabled us to to um, to do what we do by giving us the opportunity to to affiliate with them. Mm. Um, yeah, just hope that the world changes to, to a better place after this COVID pandemic, yeah. that's, that our musicians will either find a way to, to change the industry for the better or to go back to the ways of listening to music at concerts and being involved in that fun part of of festivals and being together and having a drink and enjoying uh, each other's company with some good music. Mm. I think... uh, uh, Well, I really hope that that is the case. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to appreciate live music a lot more when it comes back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And also, yeah, I just want to give my appreciation to... or, you know, all the, all the great people that have made instruments like brands like Taylor Guitars uh, for getting involved with us, uh, Gibson Guitars and all these great products that we have the chance to work with. And, um, yeah, passion done professionally, man. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's just such a good place to be in.
0: Amazing, man. Thank all. you so much for having us. I had a blast. <laughs> yeah. Werner, <laughs> yeah. thank you, man. It was good chatting
1: with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome man.